It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Joe and I just finished talking to one of our favorite Bengals of all time. I think we can both say that we share that opinion. And I don't know if I want to tell you who it was. I might just make you wait and listen mm. and go see who it was. I think a lot of you that have been paying attention know who we talked to today. Uh, yeah. But if you don't know, I want you to just find out. Oh, but I'm going to put it in the episode title anyway is mm. the thing. So we're talking right. to Willie Anderson today, and uh, <laughs> it was it was a whole lot of fun. Before we talk to Willie Anderson, though, we're going to cover some news. The NFL held their mock draft today, their dry run of the draft, since that's coming up on Thursday this week, Joe. And uh, Joe Burrow said he expects to be picked number one overall. He told PFT as much in their podcast today, and that's all we're really going to talk about for PFT, but let's get into that news and... Then we'll get into the Willie Anderson talk because it was just an absolute treat and we have a lot to share with you. Joe Burrow expects to be the number one pick in the NFL draft on Thursday. The Cincinnati Bengals pick number one in the 2020 NFL draft. This is your Locked On Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisko along with Joe Goodberry. On Monday, Joe Burrow went on the PFT podcast with Mike Florio and said that he expects to be the number one overall pick. Let's listen directly to what he told Florio. I've been watching the draft enough years that I know crazy things have happened. And, you know, I've watched people on camera slip and then the camera stays in their face and, you know, all that stuff. So I'm, you know, keeping everything on the table. Honestly, I expect to be number one, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not positive about it. Now, before we latch on to the end of that sentence, I'm not positive about it. I'm just going to clarify for everyone that he means he's not certain, not that he's negative. Yeah, it's not that he's not positive about going to the Bengals. It's that he's not sure the Bengals are going to select him. Still playing the humble card as he has all spring, but has been misconstrued plenty of times by various media it's good that he went on with pro football talk today because i feel like a lot of it started with either dan patrick or mark mike florio and for joe burrow to go out there and say yeah expect to be the number one pick and as you said the bengals have the number one pick coincidence i think not jake i i think not indeed and it's a good question for the bengals organization at this point is have they told joe burrow that he's the number one pick is joe burrow playing coy or are they really playing this that close to the vest 
this close to the draft. I think Joe Burrow has a hunch. And I think that everyone has a hunch after reports are the Bengals spent all of their allotted time with him over the last month and a week now. Going back to mid-March, they've met with Joe Burrow for three hours a week, talking football, getting to know him, letting them get to know the coaches and the team. It's all but written in pen at this point. It might even be written in pen. The draft card might be written out. They might already have the contract drawn up with his name on it, and they're just not telling us yet. But in addition to Joe Burrow telling the world that he expects to be the number one overall pick on Thursday, the NFL today held their mock draft, their dry run for the NFL draft, which of course is coming in just a few short days on Thursday. And it did not go well. Well, at least it didn't go well at first. It sounds like the Bengals, with the very first pick, they had technical issues. And they were supposed to trade with the team that picked 16 spots behind them. So the first round was going to be all trades. Every single team has to trade to make sure they work out those kinks and that process, right? Because uh, So it's the Dallas Cowboys have to go up to one. Bengals got to move back to 17. And then in round two, you make your pick where you're slotted. So they started off with the hard part of transitioning, communicating, let everyone know what's going on. The There was reports that all the GMs are in on one conference call and they're all talking and not hitting the mute button. So it's chaos. So there's a lot to figure out, but it sounds like the reports are once they got it rolling, it was figured out and it was pretty smooth afterwards. Yeah. Reports were that after they got the initial hiccups out of the way, everything went pretty smoothly It's important to reiterate that the reason that they did this, the reason that anyone doing anything with technology in a live environment does these things, they're called dry runs, is to work out those technological bugs, to work out the procedural kinks, i.e. Dave Gettleman, mute your microphone. And so they did that today. They've worked those things out. And now they can go forward on Thursday and expect a smooth process, starting with the Bengals not trading back to 16 overall, but instead, as Joe Burrow said, picking Joe Burrow with the number one draft pick. With the news out of the way, coming up next, we're joined by Willie Anderson, and he gave us an hour and 12 minutes of his time. We will not get to all of that in today's podcast, but we will have part two coming to you in the future For today, we'll get through the first part of the Willie Anderson interview coming up next. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are now joined by Bengals legend, Bengals great, should be in the Hall of Fame. I think we all agree. Willie Anderson, Willie, welcome to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. I'm so glad you could join us. It was good, fellas. It was a long time coming, man. You know, I, I had folks telling me about two months ago from everybody telling me to come over here to people telling me not to come over here. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I'm here, though, guys. You guys are definitely two guys who are very knowledgeable on the Bengals, and uh, I've always wondered how you guys got so much knowledge on the Bengals and actually who, who you guys were. So it's good to be here. Well, we, uh, we we just watch a lot of Bengals games 
over and over and over. I know you're working on your YouTube channel, working on doing Instagram Live with former Bengals players and everything. You're working with high school kids for the most part in your coaching pursuits. I just want to shout out the work you're doing, let you promote that a little bit. What are you trying to get going with your YouTube channel? Um, basically to, to kind of, you know, jump on a wave of what's going on, you know, with the internet. Um, I think, um, the three of us, all, uh, three guys that, that's heavy on the internet. I think sometimes with these social media platforms, we can kind of give away our content without getting anything back from it. You know, um, there's really no reward from Instagram, you know, for you doing, for us doing the, the, the Instagram live thing that we're doing. Um, you know, right now is a big thing on Instagram Live right now about, you know, these musicians and, and producers that are having these battles. To, tonight, I'm actually waiting on, waiting on about 30 minutes to start with Babyface and Teddy Riley going to start at 9 o'clock, a big producer battle. So I think athletes, you know, I think athletes should use this thing, you know, especially of former guys, because I think former athletes can tell stories, I think, that, you know, um, current guys may not be in the, build, the position to tell. And I've been wanting to for a while to get a bunch of former linemen. Like I have a lot of, a lot of my friends are offensive linemen who plays in the 80s. My guy Steve Wallace and a bunch of guys played in the 80s. And those guys sit around sometimes and, and tell stories about blocking Lawrence Taylor. And to me, I said, damn, this, this is a fascinating story to hear. You guys all talk about how you block LT. You know, I know guys that block Reggie White multiple times. I, I played Reggie White once my third year in the NFL. So, I want to get more stories out there. Um, I'm trying to build my YouTube subscription up. I was told that in order to go live on YouTube, you got to get up to a thousand subscriptions. So I'm, I'm kind of working on that right now. And like you guys mentioned earlier, um, I have my uh, Willie Anderson Lineman Academy. And we train uh, predominantly off of the linemen from high school up to pros. You know what I mean? Um, the pro guys were coming on the last couple of years. Maybe I started doing it with high school kids because I just seen there was a lack of knowledge on a lower level for these big kids who are going to one day be in your in your small to major colleges and hopefully one day take pros. That's great. Uh, Willie, did you know that today you were drafted in 1996? What do you remember from that time, that year, and what do you remember from your uh, pre-draft process? Well, I remember, um, you know, it's funny because Jeff Hopkins told me the story years ago that, uh, you know, Everyone knew the Bengals were going to pick me at 10. Like, there were no uh, wondering, you know, Mike Brown, they said the whole time, if I'm there at 10, he's going to pick me. So, you know, I was looking at different teams. I had just got from Auburn. We had just played in the um, Outback Bowl down in Tampa. So, as a 20-year-old offensive lineman and, and, and on a bowl trip down in, in Tampa, Florida, you know, we had, we had a wonderful time. <laughs> so, I'm like, oh, man, it'd be great to play in Tampa. You know, and we we've been down there going to the clubs. And, you know, we did everything that college students and college football players do. So on draft day, I'm wondering. You know, I've been hearing that the Bengals have been saying for the longest, if he's there, we're not moving up. We're gonna take the kid out of Auburn. I'm like, damn, it'll sure be great to go to Tampa, which had I think the number eight or ninth pick, I think. And sure enough, I didn't go to the draft. I wanted to stay home and experience with my family and friends, my whole neighborhood. So we had a big draft party at the house. So I'm at my mom's house, cutting her yard. And I tell my baseball number comes up. It's Tony Dungeon. Tony, Tony Dungeon. Dungeon. And I'm like, hello. He said, Willie, Coach Dungeon, how would you love to be, uh, like to be a Buccaneer? I said, Coach, yes, sir. Come get me. 
Tampa. I'm like, oh, this will be great. We just left there with our bowl game down in Florida, not too far from home, and it's Tampa. Now, the Bucks work that great of a team. I'm a 20-year-old kid, just want to know about the weather in Tampa and just know I had a great time for my, my bowl week down there. And um, he said, uh, well, at 9, we're going to take you at 9. I tell my whole family, yo, going to the Bucks. Um, soon as the pick come up, the Bucks uh, <laughs> they trade their pick to the Raiders, I think, mm-hmm. for Ricky Dudley. So Ricky Dudley from Ohio State goes, I think, nine. When the clock is meeting next to the Bengals, I'm ten. You know, we was all happy. The house goes crazy. You know, I think um, I can't forget who was down there, uh, but the, the Post or the Inquirer had someone um, down in Mobile at my mom's home. I still have pictures from the newspaper. I think it was the, it was the Inquirer. Um, you know, it, it was a great time, you know. Um, but the Bengals said they would get me a 10, and I was there at 10. They took me. And the rest is history. How were your first years in Cincinnati? Did you think at any point that you might finish your career out in Cincinnati before you ended up going to Baltimore? I mean, you know, my first year, you know, you know, my first year we went 8-8, eight and eight, and we were like one game away from freaking going to the playoffs. The Jaguars were a new team, and they, went, they won nine games. And they went to the playoffs. So I'm like, well, damn, that's not really that bad. And I think at the end of the season, we won like four of our, of our last six when eight and eight had some big wins. You know, we had a revenge game against Pittsburgh. Um, so I, I started the last 10 games. The first six games, I was playing like a freaking jumbo tight end. You know what I mean? So by week six, I came in at left tackle. Uh, they moved Melvin Tudin out. They put, uh, kept Joe Walters at right tackle. So I finished the season on that left tackle. I'm like, this is great. <clears throat> the first game we played in was um, against the 49ers, the game that, you know, they fired Shula. And I think we were up like 21-0. And like, I'm playing against Chris Dolman, rest in peace, Hall of Famer, and playing pretty good, you know. that It's funny that game was on YouTube. And um watched the game last year for the first time in a long time and, you know, played really well against Chris Dolman. And, you know, my second game against Clyde Simmons, I, I got my lunch eight. Clyde Simmons destroyed me. But then at the next three or four games, I caught my win and I finished up my rookie season really good. You know, um, we was eight and eight. Second year, Boomer comes back. Blake gets hurt. We go seven and nine. We win the last, uh, went seven and two, the last uh, last nine games. We thought, you know, if Boomer comes back, it's going to be great, man. You know, you know, we come back, get some things rolling. You know, we all know the story went from there. Boomer don't come back. You know, we had, you know, I think it was Neil O'Donnell at quarterback, and he went three and eight, three and thirteen, four and twelve, five and eleven, and you know, after the '99 season, my fourth year, um, it was a string of me starting up in really great individual seasons for me. Um, from '99 to '01, I went three seasons in a row, no sacks, give up one pressure. So the Bengals came to me back um, to redo my rookie deal with one year left on it. They called me. You know, my college coaches were all telling me don't resign back, but I, I just kept believing. I kept believing the process was going to change. I had a chance to go to free agency the next year, you know, and uh, it was funny. Then I had, um, I used to have some Fatburger stores. I had uh, a chain of Fatburger restaurants, uh, hamburger chains out of California. I had two here in Atlanta and one in Cincinnati. And um, the Falcons, the Falcons um, coaching staff came in one day to eat. And the first team coach told me and said, man, Big Willie, if you hadn't signed up with the Bengals, we had you number one on our, on our free agency board. <laughs> and I ended up finding out years later, several teams had me 
number one free agent on their board. But you know, I never found out. You know, I wanted to stay in Cincinnati, and uh, you know, still had some some <laughs> some bad lean years, and you know, we finally got to the playoffs in '05. But I was glad of those times, man. And you know, I, I appreciate those 12 years there. And um, I had no doubt. You know, we always joked that I was gonna, you know, we always we always had a joke that myself and Corey Dillon were gonna be like 15, 16 year Bengals. And uh, if it didn't happen that way, you know, they they cut me going into my 13th season, and uh, Baltimore picked me up and. Had a great year there. Then I shut it down. So, you know, but my plan, you know, two contracts ago was to stay in Cincinnati and to build something. Stick around. Coming up next, we'll continue the Willie Anderson interview, getting into this year's draft a little bit, talking about his draft process a little bit. Willie was incredibly gracious with his time. So stick around and we'll get back into it. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You, you mentioned 05, you mentioned those three years, you feel like you you know, you performed really well um, early in your career. What season stands out for you then? Is it individual performances in the late 90s or is it the 05 season of finally, after all those years, making it to the playoffs? Well, first, you know, as a young kid, you know, I came in the league at 20 years old, you know, my first at 21. You know, you go through the struggles of the rookie, you know, I catch my win as a rookie. Second year, you know, I, I kind of came in. I came in my second year overweight, and I got my weight down. Second year, had a had a really good second year. I thought, um, playing with Boomer, still learning the position. Third year, I kind of caught my wind, and I, I started really understanding the position, understanding how I can be really good. My fourth year, I, I say my fourth through sixth year, ninety nine through oh one, because those are years individually as a young player. The first mm-hmm. thing you want to do as a, as, a, as a young player individually, yes, you want team success, but in order for the team to be successful, you have to be individually good. And so me becoming – I thought I became a great player by my third or fourth year so that those fourth through six years, like, like I said, I had season with no sacks, faced some big-time guys, and that felt really good to me because I, I had – during those lean years, you know, Tequila likes to talk about this. We, talk, we talked about we got to have – we used to have to have – personal pride like when, when you're going through a three and 13 season and a four and 12 and five and 11 and two and 14 it comes down to personal pride it comes down to yes i know the fans sitting at the damn gate at the at the entrance of the bingo stadium they probably don't see me blocking my guy over and over and over and over again when we get booed they're going to boo willie too but what you wanted to do was on film i just pride i pride myself on film that, okay Maybe these fans who are picking the Pro Bowls and the fans who are booing, they might not know. But these, these son of a bitches down here in Atlanta, across the country, because everybody lives in Atlanta. And my offseason consist, was consisted of all the pro players in Atlanta. I wanted to be able to hold, hold my head up high in Atlanta. Just, hey, man, yeah, y'all beat our ass, but individually you didn't get past me after 35, 40 freaking attempts. <laughs> and... and that was my own personal pride. And I, I tried to hold it up to a standard the same way Takeo did. And I, I told Takeo about that when he came into the league. He said, look, man, even if we're losing, somebody's going to watch this film. The players going to watch films, And the coaches and GMs going to watch film. 
We got to let them know individually we're going to play our ass off and let this guy individually in front of me to beat your beat your man individually. And we just got to pray and hope that one day we, we, get, we, get, we get a team put together around us that's, that more guys are playing winning football. Because, you know, a winning football team consists of a bunch of guys, not a guy, not a quarterback, a bunch of guys playing individually great football. Yes, the line has to play together. Yes, but majority of plays, the offensive linemen are one on one. And you gotta you gotta you gotta you gotta defeat your individual battles for the group to be good. And I wanted that to happen. And um it took after like my fourth or fifth year until I really started, you know, trying to hold guys to accountable because early on I wasn't doing I, I was worried about myself. And I was myself. But as you get older you want damn we gotta start winning. And like now I'm I'm in a five year contract now, so I'm not going anywhere. In the middle of my being young, you know, we, we're pushing, we're pushing to trying to get, you know, guys to play good football. But you know, good football gonna come from good players. And once you get good players in there and you get a direction, you know, I mentioned 05 because you know by then we had been two years into Marvin's regime and Marvin had us really drinking the Kool Aid because we we felt like the first time in history since my that was my 10th season in 05. First time since my second season that we felt like going into games, we had a chance. You know, and and and, and that 05 season kind of, you know, kept all that off because we started, we, we had a really group of guys. We had, we had guys that we know, like we all knew that physically we matched up better against Pittsburgh and Baltimore. We had three receivers that could all been pro bowlers. We had a huge offensive line that kicked your ass. We had a punishing running back. And we had a Pro Bowl quarterback. Now our defense, you know, I've always said in retirement, I wish I've had we had the defense that you know the Bengals been putting on the field during those Marvin years going to the playoffs because we never had a Geno Atkins, never had a you know a Don Lap or a Carl Lawson or you know never had those guys. You know, Marvin spent the majority of his time trying to replace the Keo because he, he he allowed the Keo to walk, so we never had that dominant linebacker. Had some good linebackers. Had Brian Simmons. Had some good veterans. Had the John Thorns. But we never had that dominant guy back there. But you know, so those seasons, old, old, you know, '99 through '01, me personally, and then uh, you know, my fifth year making the playoffs was, was a great feeling. And that's about the time you finally got the All Pro recognition too, when the Bengals started winning a little bit under Marvin Lewis. You did have which on is, your yeah, defense, which, which, which was bullshit. It was bullshit too. That was. <laughs> oh yeah. I was, I was an old man. I was an old man by then. Like, how am I playing better now as an old man? Right. You know, it just tells you they they was picking the hottest guys. And when I was playing my most dominant ball, you know, my team wasn't hot. We wasn't hot. And you know, I, I can understand like, damn, okay, when guys go in and pick for the Pro Bowls, I'm like, what made y'all pick me starting now that you didn't pick me back then? Like, I never understood that. I was almost kind of like. When I when I made the Pro Bowl for the first time, made All Pro for the first time, I was I was happy, but I was kind of mad too. Like, like why now? <laughs> why not the last six seven years? Like, why why now? You know. So, but it is what it is, man. You know, you know, guys pick that stuff off a piece of paper, and you know, it is what it is. And and you've said this on Twitter that you think PFF is really going to help the offensive linemen that are in the league right now that might not be on the best teams, but are really good individually and. As you said, you didn't have that, right? You can point to the fact that you gave up so few sacks in your career. And do you remember all the sacks you gave up in your career? If could you go and say, all, I, "I know all 16? 
one time I wrote them down. Um, I, I thought one time it was 13, but I realized I, I went, so I told you guys earlier that I watched that San Fran film on, mm-hmm. on YouTube, and I gave a second to a guy. He was a backup guy. I know him too because I actually see him in Miami all the time with his shirt off down in Miami. <laughs> he, I forget his name. But he was a backup to Chris Dolman. I gave a second to him my rookie year. And then um, Paul reminded me on Twitter, this guy, uh, what's his name? He played for the Ravens. And he got, he got he, 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 this year he got the D-line coach of the Houston, Texas D-line coaching job. And Paul, Paul then tweeted, say, Look at his name. Paul said, yes, this guy, this guy was a hard-nosed player. He was one of the few guys that beat Willie Anderson for a sack. I said, oh, damn, I forgot about him. So I went back and counted. It wasn't 13. It was 16. Um, and, you know, Jeff Hopson did a thing a couple of years ago uh, on Bingo.com that I faced nine of the top 13 rushers, and I gave a second to Bruce Smith my rookie year. The last freaking player of the game. He can't make any game. I gave a second to him. Like, it was unbelievable. But, you know, um, I've seen a stat somewhere. Somebody said that Joe Thomas gave up 30. I, I have a graphic. Now, I don't know if this graphic is true. Uh, it said Joe Thomas gave up 34, 35 sacks. Like, damn. Like, now, I don't know if that's true. But a guy like Joe Thomas, because of the internet age, regular people get a chance to see him and say, oh, he's great because people can go on Twitter guys like you guys like we didn't have guys like you all anywhere for you guys like you who wasn't directly affiliated with the NFL team can get video and break video down and say, oh, you know what? The Bengals are getting their ass kicked, but yo, know, the right tackle man, he, they're throwing the ball thirty five times straight and this guy hasn't beat him yet. There was nobody doing that. There were no cameras on film to show, you know, I see it, it amazes me, you know, the stuff that Joe Thomas has because he has the ability to ha- break his film down because the NFL was, had a lot more cameras on the field then. So now Joe got film of him. They're biking him up. He got he got field-level access film to actually watch him play. That didn't exist of us. You know what I mean? That didn't exist. You know what I mean? I don't even see that on on Baselli and Ogden and Pace. I, was, I see it very rarely. It, it, was a different mm-hmm. kind of, it was a different kind of NFL then. And the only people who can pump you up were the traditional writers. So if you were losing, like we all knew it was the Bengals. We all, we all knew. Like, look, man, let's win. We can. And, and Marvin was the first coach to start saying this. And I'm going off topic now. But Marvin was the first coach saying this. Marvin said, look, when you win, all you guys want individual individual reports. He said, we got we got a guy from ESPN who played the guy from um, played at Pittsburgh. Think Craig Hodges. Mary Craig Hodges. Hodges Mel Hodges, Craig Hodges played for the Bulls. Mel Hodges lived in Cincinnati. He says, so when we win, ESPN's going to bring Mel to his closest destination, which is us. So you want these guys to start coming in here and winning games and interviewing you? Because, man, I didn't get, we didn't get those kind of interviews until my eighth year, eighth, ninth, tenth year in the league. Shit was crazy. Like, guys were getting interviewed and guys were getting, guys were getting freaking, uh, uh, you know, Spotlight, Monday night game, spotlight, you know, and these guys, I'll take us a John Gruden up right now to pump you up and say, oh, look at me, he's a great protector. And now the nation sees you as a great pass blocker. You know what I mean? But as a Bengal, you, we didn't really get those kind of, you know, advantages, especially early on. We got them late, and people thought we were playing so great with football. You know, we was, you know, everything came late. And then before you know it, boom, it was over. <laughs> 
Well, it's uh, it's draft week, and I think we all expect the Bengals to draft Joe Burrow. And you've been there for well, you were in Cincinnati and in, in Baltimore. You blocked for a lot of first round quarterbacks, and some worked. That's and some did that didn't end up working out. What would you say yes. it's like when those guys walk into the locker room as you know maybe the potential savior of the franchise? Well, first, um, players we think differently from from guys that that you guys did. So fans be. Fans definitely be excited. We, we, we're excited, but we also know. Let's, I've been around enough quarterbacks to know. Let me figure out his character. I want. I want to know his character. And if his character is good, yes, I love my quarterbacks. I learned from Boomer. Cocky quarterbacks work, but don't be freaking cocky toward us. Shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And but but cocky towards your opponent, cocky toward your defensive teammates in practice. Hell yeah, we want that because. It's, it's a tough, mental, mentally tough position, but but you also want to you also want to learn a guy. What is his character like? Does he want to be a star, or, or does he want to really put the work in and be a great quarterback? And as linemen, you know, I tell I tell folks this. People don't believe this, but as linemen, I've seen I've seen linemen not like people and not block as hard for them. You couldn't prove it, but you can kind of sense it that this guy's a bad guy. He's a really effed up guy. And you can sense guys, guys see a quarterback get hit, and you see guys don't even put their hand down to pick him up. You know what I mean? So I judge all that. When I, when I watch NFL games, I tell my friends all the time, say, yeah, the linemen don't like that guy. Like I told somebody, uh, uh, I can tell that the Carolina Panthers, well, I'm a person. So I'm not, not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it puts my people on blast. But you can just tell, you can put you can, you can tell linemen that don't really miss the QB like that. You can tell. I mean, I've been around it for so long. Like I told, I told people that man, you know, I've lost so many games since Cincinnati. I, I can, I can, I know how losing looks, smell, and taste. Now I hate that. I didn't want that. I want to be saying, hey, I got the Baltimore. I understood we went on a winning streak, and Marvin had us for like two or three years winning. But I know how it looks. So I know how linemen act to a quarterback. So I, I'm going to judge his character. I'm going to see how hard he works. I'm going to see if he enjoys being an NFL quarterback with the grind, the gruel of it. Like, Joe Flacco's rookie year at the Ravens, we started so early. Like, practice was so early. And the offense was so young, and the defensive guys were so old, that on offense, it was myself, uh, Mason, the receiver, and Lorenzo Neal. We were three old guys in the league. The entire offensive line had nobody older than three years starting. It was me, 13 years. Gates had three years. Yonda at second years. Him and Ben Grubbs, two years. And a quarter, and, a, and an offensive lineman, the center at three. So I was the old guy. Lorenzo Neal at, at fullback. Derek Mason at receiver. We the oldest guy. So the offense, the offense had to do more stuff than the defense. If you come in the defense, the defense laid up in the training room with Snuggies, curled up in, 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 in book bags. A little naughty got there. Snuggies drinking hot cocoa and off of the line. We are we are we are in the damn field house in the cold ass field house doing walkthroughs. I'm mad as hell. But because it, it was such a Joe Flacco get that even earlier with Hugh Jackson, and we, we we walked past the quarterback room every day, and on break Joe Flacco didn't even use, he didn't, he didn't go to the bathroom. He just sat there and put his head flat down on his desk. <laughs> and I say, I said, man, people don't understand the work it takes. They think this shit's easy. But they stressed, they, Joe stressed the hell out with information, 
trying to be a starting quarterback out of freaking Delaware State, right. where we came from. You know what I mean? And he did it, but it, but it's tough, grinding, grueling work, and you're going to have some mistakes. I remember my first game starting, and Joe being six foot six, he had he had a very long stride gait. So at the Bengals, we coach, we all coach Carson Palmer because that was a benefit of coming to a veteran off the line. I can tell that the first pick in the draft, hey man, step your ass up in the pocket, and a coach can tell me, don't say anything to him. So Carson learned from so Carson, I, I can tell Carson, Carson, look at you can drop at nine yards, you better drop, you better climb your bag back up to seven, six yards. Because we can't protect you as tackles at nine yards. Because Levi Jones and myself was the only two guys, then took the Whitworth, only two guys in the league being asked to drop seven nine step protection one on one with no chip help. So at Baltimore, first game, Michael don't step up. Robert Mack just he just whim Bobby. I'm thinking I'm about to run Matthews by Flacco. He's standing at nine yards. He gets killed. I go to the sideline and say, yo, you got to tell him to step up. They said, Willie, we know these young quarterbacks, man. We don't want to really rally. Them. I'm like, what? What the hell is that? I, I had to tell a joke because the staff didn't want to put so much on him. But as the QB, as he, as he learns his guys, I want to see how, how well, how interested is he in to learning his offensive alignment. Like, I came to the Bengals. Carson Palmer thought I was old as hell. Carson Palmer thought I was like 37 years old. So we was all like eating one day. And I said, he said, man, yeah, man, what a guy. He said, I said I'm on 30 years old. He said, no, I was 29. He said, what? He said, man, I thought you was like two years left here. <laughs> I said, nah, bro. He, <laughs> he said, so, but that's, that's kind of that's how young guys think. You know, I thought Joe Walters was the oldest guy I've ever met playing football. I said, man, I've never played football. As long as Joe Walter's playing, he's 34 years old, playing football, that's nowhere in hell. I'm going to play something hurting and cracking my knees, cracking. I played until I was 33. <laughs> so I want to see how well these young quarterbacks, how interested they are in learning that guy. You know, I want, I want to learn his character and see how well he works. And because, you know, everybody can throw a football, but it's going to be doing tough times when he's getting his ass, you know, he may get his ass knocked the hell out a couple of times. I want to see if he's going to throw the ball down and try to embarrass off his alignment, turn around and yell at the alignment. You know, you want, to see, you want to see all that, you know, because that, that shows your character. And the great guys, you see the great quarterbacks, they know. They don't show, they don't, they don't show their alignment up. They don't do it. And the alignment appreciate that. You feel like, shit, that my guy's not going to touch this quarterback. You know what I mean? Because these guys take care of us. You know, when we give up sacks, he says it's his fault. You know what I mean? So I, I want to see all that kind of stuff in my quarterback because – that stuff can ruin a quarterback fast. Fame, you know, you guys always talking about him. You know, all this stuff can ruin a guy if his personality is not right. I do want to get to talking about Joe Burrow, what fans should expect. I want to give you the opportunity to directly tell Bengals fans that are listening to this podcast, you should, this is what you need to expect out of your rookie quarterback. But real quick before we get there, everyone talks about the culture in Cincinnati the culture in other NFL teams. Did you notice a significant cultural difference in Baltimore versus your time under, let's just say the Marvin era in Cincinnati? Yeah, because, you know, everybody had experienced more success. You know what I mean? I mean, so it, it is a culture. It wasn't anything bad. I mean, I think Marvin did as great as he could, you know, uh, those first couple of years of getting that vibe from 
2002 was really bad. Like 2002 was a season that the guys that were talking about 2002, one, it'd be some bad stuff. Like it's almost to the point to where we, we as we as ex Bengals, you know, we don't get credit enough for the stuff that we don't say. And you know, the reason I, I started doing these these the, 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 the IG stuff because I, I mean, I'm on phone calls with a bunch of guys, and a lot of guys want to say stuff, but they don't want to say. I'm like, yo, man, don't say this right here. That'll only make you look bad, and the team's gonna the team's gonna hold the power if you say anything bad. Like, I was made a joke all the time on Twitter a couple years ago. I just say, man, you know, I don't want to say this right here because I, I get locked out of the state. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't want to say this right here. You know, as soon as I say something crazy, uh, Mike Brown might have a Hall of Fame ceremony, and be, I'd be left out of. <laughs> so, but there there there, there, was, there was some things that went on, some things that you know, people can control, some things management can't control. You know what I mean? Some things coaches should have controlled that maybe management didn't know about. You know what I mean? So I think Marvin did a great job of changing that culture. I mean, we, we would never go eight and eight, eight and eight, eleven and five, and you know, seven and nine if, if Marvin wasn't doing that. Because I mean, we, we was coming from off a two win season when he got there. So the culture had changed as far as learning how to win. I, I think it's learned, it's learned, and it's it's something. That the group got to feel like I, I told I told the group when we talked as an offensive group in the Ravens, you know, in the, in the, in the we, we had a stream going on. I wasn't even starting yet, but I got I got up one day myself, Renzo, Neal, Mason. Like I said, we, we were the older guys, and I said, man, at some point, we as the offense got to get tired of being freaking sick and tired. We got to we got to get tired of getting our ass kicked around, and folks saying, well, the defense only carries Baltimore. And you see in Baltimore, once the offensive guys, like it started in Baltimore with, even before I got there, they told me the defensive guys used to basically just punk and kick ass, kick the offensive guys' ass. Like they wouldn't fight them back. It was crazy. And the, the training camp, and I missed training camp, but the training camp, right before I got there, they said, uh, I, remember, I remember Marshall Yonder, Ben Grubbs, some guys told me, said, yo, man, we started fighting their ass back for the first time. And you started seeing the defensive guys saying, okay, the guys going to fight back now. So when Terrell Suggs or Trevor Price, somebody pushed somebody in the back, the linemen weren't walking away. They were fighting them because in Baltimore, everything is about a test of your manhood. Everything from top down is testing, you know, manhood. And you know that in the Baltimore locker room, you know that. When Harbaugh got there, he was like, whole thing was going to play Raven football. Well, Raven football is we're going to bully everybody. We're going to play knockback football. We're going to bully everybody. We're going to throw the ball over their head. That's, 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 that's Raven football. We're going, to knock the, we're going to knock the old lineman back, knock the D lineman back, finish the ass, you know, to the point to where, as offensive linemen, we, we, we were getting graded on grades, but the first game I was started in, we graded out like shit. But as a line, we had like 26 pancake blocks and 26 domination blocks. And I said, oh, man, Cincinnati, you know, Paul would be going crazy right now. But they didn't care as long as we were just effing guys up. You know, I mean, we, we were just pushing. We played Pittsburgh and lost to Pittsburgh. I think um, either six to three or nine to six at Baltimore. We didn't win the game, but we beat their ass, and that was kind of like a statement. Like we we, we just kind of on, on off the line. I thought for sure John Masco would come in there and lose his mind. He said, "Willie, hey, look, to all your guys, Willie, I told the head man we had thirty freaking domination blocks." He said, he, he showed it on film. And Harbaugh came in and showed it on film. 
and showed the defense. Look at the offensive lineman guys running, finishing blocks. Look at Willie pancaking uh, Warrior. Look at uh, uh, Gazer going against um, uh, Debo over there. I mean, Casey Hanson, guys down there, Ben Grubbs and guys down there, they, they, they pounding these guys. It's about an attitude. And I felt a little bit of that in those 03, 05, 06 seasons with Marvin. But I think, you know, as they got going, they got better players in there, and they, and they, they had it going for a while. You know what I mean? So the national media got to understand, too, man. You know, after Carson left, T.O. left, from 2011 to 15, man, the Bengals had one of the most talented rosters in the league, went to the playoffs every damn year. So, you know, it wasn't doldrums from the 90s, from 2011 to 2015. So that wasn't that long ago. So stop all that mess about it's dumb. You know, Mike Brown has done some things. I think that people understand that, you know, years ago, wouldn't have been done. And I think now this year, with him spending money like that, he's showing now, hey, I'm doing it again. Marvin got Mike Brown to do some things that Mike Brown would have normally not have done in the years past. You know what I mean? So, and it comes down to players, man. Like, shit, Mike Brown didn't lose that 2015. I, I'm not defending anybody, but let's be real. Mike Brown did not lose the 2015 playoff game against Pittsburgh. That was on players. You know what I mean? That's on players. So did you, I mean, because fans took it personal, obviously. They they tend to do that when it's uh, being spoken about their team, and especially with the Joe Burrow thing last few months of, oh, he shouldn't go there, or he should demand a trade. Cincinnati is a dumpster. You know, quarterbacks don't succeed there, yada, yada. I mean, as a former player, are you were you as offended as we were at, like, man, that's so old. That's no. not even the case anymore. No, I wasn't offended, no. I mean, I don't care either way, but I'm going to tell the truth. And, you know, I always say, you know, I want to see the Bengals do great because one, the players are the players. You know, anything, I tell former players this, anything, you know, we all went through as ex-players with management, and you find, you know, you, it's guys from the 80s that got stories about, you know, different things. You know what I mean? But you're going to always cheer for the players. You know what I mean? You, you cheer for the players. You know, a player didn't cut me, you know. A player didn't cut this person, you know. you know, So, um, but I wasn't offended. I just want to tell the truth because I think uh, the Bengals are, in, if they're in a bad light, that puts us former players in bad light too. So I want to see the Bengals do good and get talked about. You know, I live down here in Atlanta, Georgia. No one, no one in Atlanta, Georgia care about the Bengals unless the Bengals are real bad and they're laughing at us. And my friends who are all Falcon fans were all – I pick on all my Falcon friends. I, I, I'm, a, I'm an instigator of, of, of so much hurt. My friends were Falcons, <laughs> Falcon fans, and Georgia Bulldogs down here. So I want the Bengals to win, so I can I can talk trash too. But at the same time, it, it makes us former players being a good light, you know. Because you know, if if we get talked about, if we get talked about badly from since the nineties from these Pro Bowl voters, yes, I want to see Geno Atkins get to the Pro Bowl. It's damn right. I mean, I'm into the Hall of Fame. Yes, I do. I, I do want to see that because it it puts a good light on the on the, on the team on the players. And we as players, all we can do is play up to the best of our ability. And I mean, so I'm going to always cheer for players. We've got the draft coming up this week, but we will get to the rest of this Willie Anderson interview one way or another. I hope you enjoyed this snippet. Willie was an absolute pleasure to talk to, as have been most of the players, all of the players that we've had the opportunity to talk to. So we really appreciate Willie's time. We will get you the rest of our conversation with him very soon. 
Until then, Bengals fans, we've got another treat for you coming up tomorrow. Have a good one. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.